Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. <laughs> Suck it, Toronto. To think that, that a season is championship or championship is, is um, certainly the way we've approached it. To the Miami Heat fans, it was, uh, you're despicable people, and I hope I never hear from you again. Milwaukee, we dogs! James Harden is a massive choker, and he is a bum. Bum. Finals MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Bogdan Bogdanovich. Karma. Karma, bitch. Chris, you did it, huh? Hello and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com, joined as per usual by Riley Feldman and Kyle Carr after a nice time away, but we are back at our podcast recordings. Fellas, how are we doing? We're doing good. It's humid in the Twin Cities. Typical Midwestern weather and update. My <laughs> sand volleyball summer team continues on. We are by far the worst team in the league. We have won one game out of nine so far, but it was I jumped into my teammates arms when we won because it was a hard fought battle and I couldn't believe it. And I, in many ways I felt what I imagine the Bucks felt like when they actually won the title. So uh, yeah, I'm feeling, feeling pretty good, even though that was weeks ago that that happened and we've <laughs> not won ever since. So I'm doing good. Otherwise I'm doing okay. I, I got COVID. It was not a fun time. Um, the whole house had gotten COVID. So that was, yeah, if you can try your best to avoid getting it, I would strongly recommend doing so. <laughs> um, otherwise, everyone's good now, but that that's kind of – it was humid today, which was a bummer because I looked at the temperature. I was like, oh, it's like 81. That's totally fine. And then I stepped outside. I was like, good Lord. Never mind. This, this is not – this is worse because <laughs> at least if it was like hot, I would know that. But this is just a false sense of security. So otherwise, things are okay. <laughs> Yeah, I well just to just to chime in on the weather. It is it is 9:30 as at the recording time 9:30 p.m. in Philadelphia. 86 degrees out still. Uh feels like 91. So it's been it's been a bit of a heat wave out here in the northeast. That's been awful. Um but speaking of hot, that's the that's how the Brew commenters came in when we asked for a few mailbag questions and you delivered it. And there were some volume shooters which I appreciated. Thankfully, uh, we got to use probably most of them in here because we we always appreciate the questions and we really need the content right now because um, obviously we are getting into the lower doldrums of the off season and now we need to we need to we need to start ratcheting it back up. We have probably another month before I feel like we'll really be in in gear thinking about the season. But for now, let's get to our mailbag questions. So first ones we're going to go through some player specific ones. 
There were two two right off the bat that I think we need to touch on. It's it's Brooke Lopez. Wisco Joe asks, how likely is it that this is Lopez's last year on the team? And then sort of related, R983 asked, how many seasons does Brooke Lopez have left in the tank? And would he make sense as a bench center? Riley, what were your feelings on that? So this is funny because I had not read the questions in the comments before this. And then I wrote this week's, whenever this publishes, this week's August 8th MMMR. And I just wrote about Brooke Lopez like, is this his final run? So I guess we were all <laughs> something in the zeitgeist about Brooke. Um, his final year with the team, I wrote down that it totally depends on how he starts the season because we have seen what life without Brooke Lopez might look like. It wasn't the prettiest thing in the world. Uh, it wasn't great for Giannis's body, the workload, but we could make it work. And our defensive rating was 10th last year before we went on to win the title. I think this past year, this is all per basketball reference because I was looking it up. We were 14th in the league. So about bang average, which I think everybody would say that feels about right. When Brooke came back, our defensive rating dropped even more, but also those are some throwaway games. So it's hard to really evaluate. I would say it's low odds that this is his final year, but this may be his last year as a starter. And then that bleeds into R983's question about is, could he be a bench big? I wrote down, it doesn't make sense at all. So I wouldn't keep him around. It, as soon as the move is made to move him to the bench, his usability drops off, I think, immensely because think of the number of guys who are all-time great bigs or like really good bigs through their mid-30s. It's like, oh, we'll bring them off the bench. How often does that like really work out? To have a specific guy who's like, he's the defensive guy, but the reason he's getting moved to the bench is he's not quick enough on defense to really help out. So I, I, I just not sure if that would be the right use of a roster spot. No, maybe it's a low enough salary that it won't matter, but I would expect this to maybe be his last year as the full-time guaranteed starter, no matter what the results, so long as it's not truly horrific. And then because his contract is up after this year, We'll see. We might bring him back on a two-year deal for like a small amount, but it, we're coming pretty quickly to the close, I think, regardless of how great his back looks after the surgery or whatever. I think they will keep him as a bench center after this year just because I feel like out of all like the core players, like Brooke, Giannis, Chris, Drew, Bobby, Pat, like I think Brooke will get the team friendliest deal because it's going to be like this the fact that they got him so cheap in the first place was one thing then he got his contract and now he is mid-30s with back surgery i, I think there is some value in still keeping him around you know as, especially he could be kind of a well if we're going to try something different then we could do that i think they should actively try and find his successor it's probably going to have to be through free agency or the draft but i i don't I think he still has two seasons where he could be a value. And I think that's where that's what I could see his next contract being is being a, you know, breaking case of emergency or like kind of like a defensive substitution. Like, okay, we got to get a stop. That's where you can kind of throw Brooke Lopez up there and stuff like that. Cause it's not like he's going to require much offensively. So you can kind of throw him in. I know like teams can do that where, you know, maybe if you're trying to inbound the ball, you get someone that's better offensively. It's gonna I can see that being the same thing with Lopez, where he kind of shifts to more of that we need to get a stop or we need to just improve on rebounding. So I think he still has two years of being usable, 
but I I don't think it would make sense for Milwaukee to give him a large contract, even if it's only one or two years. I don't they probably don't have the money to do so, but I, I think in my opinion, it makes sense. Run with Brooke this year. We know what he can provide. You don't need to play him every game. You have Serge Ibaka now. Use Serge Ibaka more in the regular season. And then when you get the playoffs, you have Brooke. And the next year, you hope you either you find a successor, maybe see if Brooke still wants to come back on a lower deal, maybe establish that, okay, you're not going to play as much. You're not going to be as vital of a piece. And you find, you whether, like I said, through a draft, through free agency, through a trade, you have his successor, quote-unquote successor, in line. It's a, it, I mean, it's interesting because the one thing about him as a bench center that, that might mean that, okay, so the, the different look that Bud is going to throw at the other team is drop. That, that would be like his curveball as opposed to his you know fastball or whatever that he's relying upon all the time. I think that's the one thing in my mind that I struggle with a little about thinking about him as a bench center and thinking, okay, so what is Bud using as his primary core defense? Maybe, maybe he would be fine doing stuff. Obviously, he did the sort of hedging with Bobby last year in the starting lineup. But I don't know, I, I, I because normally that would sort of then siphon off the ability to have switching or whatever else as your, your primary other look for the other team. So that's the one thing I struggle with with, with Brooke. I, I don't think this will be his last year with the team. I think... I think this this particular squad, even if they fall short next year, I think there's still going to be a lot of. I know I will. Pro- I can sort of sense myself already feeling this, and it's probably a little foolhardy. But even if they get, if they, as long as they don't fall like extremely short of expectations, because I still will have seen them have done it a few years earlier, I could pretty easily talk myself into keeping this core around for at least one more year, given Drew and Chris are still there. And I just think there's maybe like a two to three more year window max with this team. And I think Brooke Lopez is more central to this team's construction than a lot of people like to like to admit when we look at what the, how the team is sort of made up. Um, I think that kind of played out last year, at least in my opinion, is I think he's, I think he's very integral to what they do both offensively and defensively, even if he has clear defensive limitations in terms of what he can execute. So I think he'll definitely be around for beyond this year. Plus, he's like a great culture guy. Everybody loves Brooke. If you if Budenholzer ever really turned heel and wanted to have a goon on the squad, why not have the giant 300-pound, 7-foot guy be the goon? And there is something to be said for even if you move him to the bench, occasionally teams are going to have a primary big man maybe Brooke wouldn't be able to defend them for the entire game. But even if it's a couple of possessions against a Joel Embiid absorbing some pressure, those are a couple of possessions that Giannis doesn't have to do that, which might have a value all its own if you're narrowing it down to just a playoff series that you have to survive against a particular matchup. So that that would kind of make sense too. All right, next question. This is from R90, R983 as well. Which Grayson is the real Grayson? Bulls series, Celtics series, or both? Same question for Bobby. How do you feel, Kyle? I'd say both. I feel like that's a cop out, but like I don't think Grayson Allen is going to shoot as well as he did against the Bulls. <laughs> like that was probably the best Grayson Allen will shoot for a stretch of time. I also don't think he's 
as bad as the Celtics in the case. Because the thing with the Celtics series specifically was he had good looks. He, they just weren't falling. And that's that that's just unfortunate. The defense we always knew was kind of suspect. The defense we knew was going to be an issue. And a smarter team like the Celtics obviously exploited that. I don't know how many other teams have the guard slash wing depth to really take the take as much advantage of Grayson Allen as other teams could in the East. So that's kind of like the one thing is most of the time you can kind of hide Grayson. So I would say it's a little bit of a combo of both. Like, I don't think he's going to shoot as poorly as he did in the Celtic series, but he's also, but he has the capability for a game or two be able to kind of take over a game and shoot so well, like he did against the Bulls. Like, I think better is that is definitely still possible. So I, I just, I just don't want to, I, if I had to lean one way or the other, I would lean Bulls series in terms of capable of take of hitting a couple shots and really swinging a game. I just don't think I think the Celtics series was a combination of just bad shooting, which everyone on the Bucks displayed in that series, and a smart team specifically hunting him out. So that's what I would say for Bobby. I, I guess I don't remember how Bobby was in both those series, but I think Bobby is a much more trusted commodity and player like we know what we're gonna get with bobby you know what's gonna be there and eddie like we know offensively he's still gonna likely contribute defensively he can hold his own but it's also foolish to just think he's gonna continue doing that so that's kind of my thoughts on those two so i guess slightly lean bull series but with bobby i'd say both for Grayson, I'd say the real Grayson is closer to the Celtics series. And the reason why is because we're a team at the point now where the 16-game player is what's important. <laughs> and what Grayson Allen ended up becoming more or less was sort of this version's or this past year's version of Bryn Forbes. Bryn Forbes, sorry. The way that I look at it is as we go along... Grayson will be useful against the first round, maybe the second round, depending on what our seed is against the, like Kyle said, the lower teams that don't have the wing depth. They are already stretched to the limit trying to guard Giannis, uh, Chris, and Drew, assuming they're all available. Um, But when you start facing better defenses in order to continue to be useful, which pretty much nobody on the Bucks was, you have to have some sort of skill you can go to that even against a better defense and more focused defense, you can still create for yourself. Now, Grayson can drive a little bit. He's unique in terms of the wing guard, wingy guys who can do that. But besides shooting, he doesn't do a lot else. Like he'll cut every once in a while, but generally speaking, we kind of get dumb and it's like, well, Giannis is going to do something or Drew's going to do something or Chris will do something. And then hopefully we can kind of get a couple baskets here or there from other guys. So, in the aggregate, I would say Grayson's probably more like himself in the Celtics series where his primary skill is shooting. There's a lot of guys whose primary skill is shooting. Um, if he's not driving, then the defensive impact is obviously horrendous. And then he's just he, he's not he doesn't get it off quick enough or whatever to be shooter guy who's so good that it even raises above defenses you know if he was he'd be like steph curry like there's a reason why why jump shooting like perimeter guys there's very rare are the guys who are able to keep it going and that's why they're like all-time great so that's where i lay is that he's probably more celtics but he's still like totally useful guy through the regular season and then against those kind of lower opponents in the playoffs for bobby he was he was i think he was 
relatively consistent um, through the Celtic series and that he was consistently sort of inconsistent. There was a couple of times where I was like, uh, if he could just get a couple of these shots to go. And we've been there with Bobby before where it's like, if he was just a little more consistent in this game, but he had good defensive rebounding numbers. His defense itself was like, okay, I think, which is kind of going back to even last year's tighter the year before's title run where it was like, oh, sometimes it works magically and sometimes like, ah, eh, kind of hit or miss. With, but if you take the same principle as Grayson and apply it to Bobby, Bobby as a shot creator for himself in the mid range, especially, or even just running the court as a guy with size, that's a skill that you can kind of replicate or do against even better defenses um, somewhat consistently. He's just a bit of a wild card because he's consistently inconsistent, sort of. So I'd say maybe the Celtic series is also a closer approximation, but he was far more impactful than Grayson Allen was in the Celtic series. Uh, now, that's relative because we ended up losing the series, so it wasn't that impactful. Um, but I think a lot of the guys, what we saw in the Celtic series is probably closer to what they really are. Um, and part of that is just borne out by the fact that Chris was out there. So maybe if Chris is out there, we don't find out as truly like what their limits as players are, but Celtics exposed guys as to kind of where they're at. I think pretty accurately. I think that's probably a good summation of it. The, the main thing to think about that is if, you're thinking about where you want the Bucks to eventually go. That's a pretty good prism to look through as opposed to the, what happened in the Bulls series is trying to examine it through, through what happened in the Celtics series. So um, I think that's probably where I would land. All right. Next one, R983 again. Is it realistic to expect Marjon to contribute in any meaningful way to winning this year? And then Bud's track record record with young players on good teams. Um, I have a little bit of background on Bud's track record with young players. So I was looking this up before. Obviously, we know he played Dante DiVincenzo. He was like first man off the bench, and that was warranted. Uh, I think we could all tell that from from the very start. So thank you to Bud for being that smart. There, there was not another first-round pick in Milwaukee since then until Marjan Bochamp. So I think it's pretty easy to understand why Bud may have been reticent to go to some of these second-rounders, the the few that there were on the I don't know what, you know, you know, when you get the college Zakis of the world, I don't know why you don't want to play them. Going back to his Atlanta days, he he played some of his rookies like a, a decent amount. So young guys that were on some of his first teams were like Mike Scott, Dennis Schroeder. Um, so in, in Schroeder's rookie year, he played like 640 minutes for Bud's first Hawks team. Uh, and then second year made a big leap, was a lot more you know, a, a much larger part of the team. Mike Scott was only in like his second or third year. Uh, Kent Bazemore as a young player on those teams was playing a thousand plus minutes. Uh, so he, he's willing to go to some of these players, even if they're, you know, not always necessarily rookies. I mean, even DJ Wilson, who was a second year player in Bud's first year played, I, I've forgotten this, played almost 850 minutes on Bud's team. Part of that was probably injuries from Urson or whatever, but I mean... I, I think I understand the narrative behind Bud not playing rookies or whatever, but I think there's there's probably enough other counter evidence to indicate that he is willing to play someone if they can play well in any sort of meaningful way. So then let's get back to the main question. Kyle, what are you thinking about Marjon's ability to actually contribute to winning this year? I, I think he can contribute. And the biggest reason is what Marjon primarily brought was defense. 
And that's something that is always going to get you playing time for Budenholzer. If you can defend, there's a reason why Jordan Wara doesn't get that much playing time is because he is defensively terrible. Like that's mainly (laughs) what it comes down to. So with Marjan, I think there, because defensively he could still do stuff and he showed in summer league, he might not be as terrible offensively as we initially thought. Like there's definitely, it's definitely not a finished project like product it's definitely not something to rely on getting even like averaging 10 points a game like it's probably not that but i think defensively he can bring enough in terms of the size in terms of the ability with the switching defense as well it, it could be something that we were hoping shemmy would do and you know to that extent i think that's what can give marjan a good opportunity so that is I, i'm just saying like, if you're asking me, can he contribute? Sure, because there was a stretch where Boonholzer probably was considered a Chevy Ogilvy, and we <laughs> saw how that turned out. So he can't be worse than that. Uh huh. So I think he can actually contribute. And I was going to say with the younger players, it, it feels like if you can either, and even with Dante, it was like, can you bring something to this team? Can you bring something that allows you to still remain on the court and not get completely destroyed defensively? Like Ken Bazemore, Mike Scott. Dennis Schroeder was a little bit of an exception just because he is a point guard. He was just smaller, but he was a good enough point guard to get more to playing time. But yeah, Mike Scott, Ken Bazemore, Dennis, like, you know, Dante even. Like, they're decent enough defensively that that is why they made the court as young players. So I think that is going to continue with Marjan. I just, like I said, I wouldn't expect much offensively out of him, but I think there is a pathway. There is a clear sign like, okay. Here is how he's going to play. This is all he needs to do as long as he can defensively keep it up. And if they go to switching, I think that's when he's really going to play. If they're trying to do the zone drop, I don't think he's going to be out there during that time. But for switching style defense, I wouldn't be surprised if he was out there. Let it not be forgotten that guy who probably absolutely did not deserve the minutes, Jordan Wara, had almost 1,200 minutes last year. Uh, and that goes to show that you don't actually have to play defense or be <laughs> all that great of a player to get over a 1,000 minutes with the way our roster is structured. I think it's okay to expect Marjan to maybe get close to a 1,000 minutes. Somewhere between, I would say, 800 and 1,000 minutes would feel about right, just because, like Kyle's saying, specific defensive role there are going to be nights where he gets the garbage nights where all the veterans are off but my concern with Boonholzer and young guys is not so much like will he play them it's that I remember when he first came in they were talking about how his daily vitamins thing was like his big deal and that was a holdover from his really awful final hawks year where he clearly just stopped giving a shit and they lost like 50 games or whatever he's like look i'm like a young guy guru he like the improvements of skills or changing of skill sets i don't really think that's boonholzer's deal his deal is i come in what are your talents and i'll kind of find a way to fit you in so any sort of growth in marjan's uh skill set is going to come almost exclusively from what he's able to work on uh, i and i maybe he'll come in to training camp and there'll be way more that he can do that we didn't see because he had this very convoluted path to the nba and if that's the case we might be able to expect even more because we also have to recall marjan is 21 going on 22 he's not like a true 18 19 year old rookie where it's like this is going to be a total adventure um so i think we can expect a little bit more from him Uh, i wrote down i I would expect almost nothing from him in the playoffs because 
but it's just I, I think it's too much too soon for Bud uh, to want to go to him unless things are totally desperate injury wise or whatever. We already have Wes on the team who will mostly fill up a lot of those minutes. Um, so I wouldn't expect much from the playoffs. I would expect more during the regular season. And that's okay because Marjan is here to be part of the next wave of whatever this team is going to be. So uh, he'll get minutes. I wouldn't expect a lot in the playoffs. Um, and I don't know how much Boonholzer really even talks to the young guys. I remember Sam Merrill, somebody asked him like, oh, what is Mike Boonholzer telling you to like improve? And Sam was like, uh, me me and coach don't really talk all that much. I was like, damn, <laughs> <laughs> like get out of my face, rookie. <laughs> don't, don't talk to me. So we'll, well I see. Feel like with that, it's kind of a simple thing. It's like, okay, you can shoot and you can't do much else. Yeah, don't do so much else beyond that. But that kind of tell you to do more. <laughs> I mean, that, that drives home the fact that like, do not go into the Marjan experience thinking, oh, he's going to get in Mike Boonholzer's camp and they're going to be, they're working on stuff. I really don't think Boonholzer gives a damn. So uh, it's, that would be the only thing I'd pump the brakes on is do not expect massive growth in like skill set because of Mike Boonholzer this year. Contributing to winning as a rookie is very, very difficult. That being said, the I mean, the, the bar is so low for our, my expectations as a rookie. If he shot... 35% from three and was not a killer defensively. I, that would be such a massive win already as a baseline for him that that honestly maybe would contribute to uh, be enough to contribute to, to winning because there's so many other good players around him. Like that's really all he would have to do. Yeah. He he's trying to live up to a guy who is now living Bologna, Italy now to uh, <laughs> like, that's, that's the bar he has to clear is can you be better than like a, mid to low league Italian professional basketball player. Can you do that? I think he can. Did Rodney Hood land anywhere? He can't be on any team. Can he? He's going to join. He's going to join the coaching staff. hundred percent. He's oh, going to be with yeah. Damari Carroll. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Hawks, um, Hawks, let's see. <laughs> I'm looking up Rodney Hood. You can. Oh no. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll just pop in when needed. <laughs> um, okay. J- Riley, why don't you go on? You, you, Pat Connaughton. This is this is from me. I, we didn't talk about Pat Connaughton's extension, but basically what we talked about earlier this year, it was kind of a wink, wink. Pat Connaughton extended for uh, what was it like three twenty four? It was three years, twenty eight point seven million. So it's about nine and a half annually okay. or so. Okay, so I would say a pretty solid deal. I, I, it seems like fair, pretty fair all around. Probably cheaper than what some of us thought. So I would say pretty good bit of business probably for Horst and company. What kind of mafia money are we paying this dude? We're going to have the Pat Connaughton topia like apartment complexes in downtown Milwaukee are going to be crazy in five years. I have no idea how we got this guy on this deal. Uh, Now, I think it's probably one of those very rare instances where it's fair for both sides, but it's just strange that we got there without him having to go to the market for it. Uh, so if he's making after this season, about nine and a half, I think he's 30 going to turn 30 is 30. I can't remember, but he seems like the kind of guy who will be useful through at least the first two years of that. He is sort of reliant on his athleticism. So that's always a little iffy as a guard of where you're going to go with that. But would not be surprised if he's useful for us or for anybody else for the next two years. Uh, he'll be making a good chunk for salary purposes. Uh, 
I don't know. I, I you could have gone a little bit higher, and I would have been fine with it. I think this is for John Horse. Yeah, this is a steal of a negotiation for sure. I have no problem with it because I was surprised that he took a lower what I, I thought he was going to get a lot more money somewhere else. I just assumed that was going to happen just because he, just from the playoff when they won the title, just that run he went on alone. Like there were times where he was the Bucks' second best player which is still shocking that they won a title based off of that. But it really was, and he was able to continue that the next year. And I think what he brings to a team is just something that so many teams would overpay for. They Like he can shoot, he can still, he's relatively fine defensively. Like that is something that you would expect teams to just overpay for. And maybe teams then, and he just wanted to stay in Milwaukee. I don't know. Maybe there's like a hidden clause about, okay, we're also going to give you this chunk of land as, you know, do whatever you want with this chunk of land that's out there. But yeah, I, I had no problem with it. I saw Pat Connaughton decide to stay with the Bucks. I was like, cool. All right, done. Whatever. I don't need to see the rest. Like I saw enough. It's kind of the same. Like when I heard Bobby Portis, like resign, I was like, okay, all right. That's all I need to hear. Move on. <laughs> and so far, Roddy Hood, uh, no, still is not. Uh, it has not been signed. Neither is Jabari or Julia Okafor or Harry Giles. Like a lot of these Duke players, nowhere to be found. Tragic, tragic. Good on, good on Pat. I can't tell if I if we have some sort of inflated idea of his value. I like just on its face. We one hundred thousand percent because he had like three good Suns games. And to be fair, that was more than a lot of other people, but we 100% (laughs) have a way out of proportion inflated sense of what this guy is capable of. And he jumps high and he didn't even do this this past year. He didn't do the, like he jumps and like blows by a guy to contest the shot. He doesn't even do that anymore. So yes, we, we may look at this and be like, wow, I can't believe we're paying him $10 million. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if like by the, by detail on it, we're like, okay, we need this contract off the books now, but I'm not going to complain about it right now. He's like a total, sorry. I I was just going to say, I think two interesting kind of correlated contracts this off season were Otto Porter Jr. Who got just the taxpayer mid level, which was like 6 million from Toronto. And then, um, the Glove Jr., who got like $9 million from Portland. I would say both of them seem like semi-analogous to Pat. And in that context, his contract is maybe a little overinflated, but still, I would say okay. Given he's like a contributor to a title, role player, you could see him filling some, some several roles, but he has clear flaws as well. Yeah. Um, all right, last player-centric question. This is from Harms. I'm interested what you guys have, if you have an answer for this one. What player has the most pressure coming into this season not named Giannis? Still Chris. I think I was going to say it's pretty obviously Chris, right? (laughs) Well, here's my reasoning. We, like all of after the Celtics series was, if the Bucks had Chris, they would have won. If the Bucks had Chris, they would have won. <laughs> he's, turned into, he's turned into like a Christ-like figure very quickly. Like, how into... many people kept saying, if the Bucks simply had Chris Middleton, they would have won that Celtics series, and who knows what would have happened. Like, there were so many people, myself included, I was saying, like, yeah, obviously if he was there, I would have had much more. Like, I had faith in the Bucks without him. I would have had more faith with him. So I think that's going to be the guy, and this is also going to be one where it's like, all right, 
We know what Giannis is, and Giannis is going to dominate, and it's going to be that simple. And we know what Drew can be, and sometimes Drew is going to be absolute ass offensively, but his defense is still going to be good enough that whatever, you can be ass offensively every once in a while. But with Chris, it's like, okay, you don't have that. You can be ass defensively anymore. Like, you got to come in. Like, your goal is now to get the buckets when the team cannot hit a shot. And if he struggles to do that, that's going to look and again he's got the big contract so i think for him it's always going to be that kind of you need to show up in the playoffs like we need to see what we saw in those we need to see the clutch basket we got to see the tough shot express we have to see that that's going to fall on you and that's going to be your responsibility because now we know okay with chris milton the bucks with healthy Giannis and chris and drew the bucks can win a title with a healthy Giannis and drew the bucks win a title like but now we got to see like chris is probably like the one out of like drew and chris is like we know what drew can, can bring and he can if he can't bring on one and he for sure can bring on the other and well chris i think it's kind of not expected to bring it defensively so if he's not bringing it offensively then it makes things a lot tougher because he's got to be the guy that's kind of got to be able to hit the shots when milwaukee needs a shot the most so i'll say chris milton because too many people are saying if they had him the Bucks would have won that Celtic series, and now he's got to come in, and, and he's going to be not a hundred percent going into the season because he's got that wrist surgery. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Chris. Yeah, agreed across the board. Doesn't help that he had for him a down year overall. Uh, the Bulls series, the two games that he was in, or the couple of games he was in, he was not great either. So that didn't look great. Uh, and also the audacity of this guy and his agent to talk about a contract extension at whatever dollar value they're talking about. No, we are not talking about that until we, if you already got a player option for next season for $40 million, we don't need to worry about whatever your next contract is going to be. So I think for him, I most pressure for sure. They're like, what do you mean next? Like what is your contract exception? I was like, Oh wait, <laughs> that's exactly what I thought. I was like, what are we talking about? Another contract. It wasn't this for like you the next eight one. years. <laughs> You did get like five years? Like, what the hell? Um, The the Chris Middleton wars were so intense that it felt like, you know, a decade went past already. And then I was like, well, we got him for another decade. Um, No, so I think for him, the pressure of, yes, expectations around everybody, that he is going to be the one that will come in and help lift all boats that was not there against the Celtics, which I, yes, we're making him out to be this like godlike figure, but... It was a pretty close series, so it's not unreasonable for people to be like, if Chris was there, we probably would have play, played slightly better. Um, but for him, if he has expectations of getting a huge contract extension on top of everything else, he's got to be playing like the second coming of MJ, and we got to see it like right away. Rest, wrist or no wrist, like we got to see it all season long. Uh, and that's not really Chris's thing. And uh, I think for him, that's why the pressure's highest. My second vote, if I can allow a second vote, would probably have been Brooke because we're coming on the last year of the contract. We kind of talked about everything at the top of like, what's his role going to be? Um, he's making enough that we could trade him if like a good deal came along or whatever. So I think for him of the guys, he's probably the second in terms of like most pressure this season. I would have had Grayson Allen just because of the, okay, you let you end the season on a very bad note and everyone is willing to trade you. If it's for anything of an upgrade, if there is one, so that would have been the guy I would have picked because 
I'm sure that everyone would be like, yep, we got to trade him. The second he struggles, if he goes like four games without hitting a three, that that chatter is going to get a lot louder. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna throw out and see if anyone was willing to put George Hill give throw George Hill a bone as the most, I, most George, Hill's, George Hill has pressure from me to retire before the season ends. <laughs> do the honorable thing, George. Do the honorable thing. That's what he has pressure for. <laughs> that is brutal. Um, I just need him to be healthy at this point. Like you, can he just be healthy? Yeah, that's that's kind of you. Um I, I agree with Chris. I I've sort of carefully been curious what's going to happen with this James Harden tampering thing, because I have to admit when I saw James Harden take a big pay cut, I was like, Hmm, that seems like a pretty ideal Chris Middleton scenario uh, down the line. If maybe he was willing to just shave a little off. James Harden to fuck things up. Even when he's trying to do the right thing. God, he's such a bum. Uh, yeah, he does suck. I, I would say Bobby Portis actually is kind of an interesting player. Cause they just inked him to a really large deal. They seem to think he has upside, obviously, long-term sort of fit with Giannis. He showed that in the starting lineup last year. I think if you're the team, you want to see at least some sort of incremental growth, once again, from a guy that you just signed to such a big deal. Uh, I mean, he's getting paid a lot of money now, probably maybe even a little more than what he's worth. Um, but I think he'll he'll probably have some some pressure. And I say that with with my sort of purview of this question was, I don't really know if anyone has pressure because I still really am kind of still basking in the glow of the, the title. So I, I don't feel like pressure is very relative in this scenario for me. I was going to say, I feel like Bobby Bobby will get this year as a pass just because now he got paid and everyone's in love with him. Like, I feel like Bobby could do no wrong this year. And he was underpaid for, for two years. So he also has that going for him. Um, all right, let's move on to do sort of roster team-oriented stuff. This is from Mux Bucks. Predictions on who makes the 15-man roster to start the season. Any surprises? Any players being moved? Uh, the roster is basically set. It's it's really hard to predict sort of is any Jordan Warren stayed or no? Like, I don't know this. That is really the only question, I guess, you're right, Kyle. <laughs> is he, is, whether like, he's is he technically on the team? Have we signed him back? Or, like, what the fuck's going on with that? Well, how do you guys feel about Ward? Do you have any predictions on uh, Ward? You don't, you don't need to hear what I have to say. <laughs> okay. You know what I'm going to say. I mean, the fact that he is not signed anywhere kind of gives me a feeling he will be back, and it's whatever. Um, I I feel like he's going to be back. He is what he is. Like, there's not much to really say about it. I just don't know. Like, I mean, again, if no team made an attempt, if there's not even rumblings of anyone even interested, I kind of feel like... Like, they made the qualifying offer, and that was all I knew. So I'm assuming he's coming back. I don't think he'll get traded, but... I think the question for the 15-man roster kind of comes down to Luca Vildoza, um, Wigginton, and I guess maybe Jordan Wara, because I think right now we have 16 coming into camp, and Jordan's not in that group, so there's presumably one spot open. I think it kind of depends on if they think Wigginton can be in like a decent super depth guard. Uh, I think war would have a quicker path to some playing time, whether or not he'll do anything past that. But these are like 15th end of the roster guys we have. It doesn't really matter all that much. I would think war will be back just because we need like guys, his size probably. And we don't really necessarily go for the like lead guard creator guy. And you're not going to get much from a uh, deep bench guard on that anyhow surprise moves and stuff the only one i could see would 
maybe be Grayson Allen, like Kyle was saying, uh, probably the easily the most like the most replaceable starter that we had last year. I mean, old ass Wes Matthews took him out. So <laughs> God knows there's there's space for Grayson to find space on another team. And he makes a little bit more now because of the contract and everything. But I we don't have any past of John Horst doing something crazy leading once the like main free agency period is passed, unless some weird opportunity opens up because some guy elsewhere gets disgruntled, but nobody's even with their teams right now. So why would anybody just get disgruntled? So I, I think we're pretty much set and it'll probably be Wara that comes back at the 15th spot. Yeah. I I'm expecting a quiet off season. I, if those players get moved, I kind of don't think it'll be until mid season. So yeah. Pretty stable, Mux Bucks. It's basically the same team as last year. So we're gonna we're gonna move on. If you could, next question. If you could add one additional player to the team, what kind of attributes slash skills would you look at? This is from Stone Age. What do you think, Kyle? It kind of feeds into the other question that was asked. Um, that Stone Age asked in terms of like what schematic addition would you like to see? I would like to see someone that can be a playmaker. I feel like another ball handler, another playmaker, because right now after Drew, it's George Hill and Lindell Wigginton as your, like, more or less point guards, which um, I don't love that as being the options. <laughs> That's going to terrify me. And what, we're expecting Joe Ingles, to, like, if he's healthy to be that guy. We're expecting Giannis and Chris. We saw what happened with Giannis and Chris being primarily creators, and all it leads to is a bunch of turnovers. Um, so I would say someone like a guard that has a capable ability of ball handling and playmaking that I have confidence would be on a roster and would be not terrible. Um, so that's kind of what I would hope for. I feel like they're good on bigs. They're fine on wings. They need, they do need another playmaking guard. They just don't really have anyone of that count. Like Wendell Wigginton in theory could be that guy, but I don't know if he's like he's probably not good enough to play for this Bucks team. Maybe if we were tanking, sure, run about there. But that that is my I guess only skill set that I would want is playmaking at the point guard position. I'm gonna forget Joe Ingles is on this team at least thirty more times between now and whenever <laughs> he actually debuts. So just get ready for that, listeners. I would go against that, Kyle, a little bit, if only because the way our team is structured is. Playmaking primarily goes to Drew, but like it's a little bit of my turn, your turn ish with Giannis and Chris. And the whole purpose is Giannis has to play well enough so that we don't have to have like great playmakers, but the skill level they need is reduced because Giannis does so well. So I think that's still going to be the principle and any guy you can bring in. I guess the question that I would ask for clarification is like at what level, but I would look for maybe more veteran wing defense help. So Robert Covington's been the apple of everybody's eye for the longest time, but assuming Marjan is not going to be long for the playoffs and Wes Matthews is yet another year older, um, I think more guys who can defend up and down a little bit would be helpful, if only because that was a lot for Wes to have to try and handle over the course of the Celtics series. And so maybe you're just adding more old guys and let me put my hand up first. I'm the first one to complain about adding old guys, but assuming Marjan is not going to be the go-to wing defender for various reasons, because Boonholzer likes having veteran players, I'd look for even more uh, wing or even like forward defense, because I think that'll be helpful because there's a lot of other teams where that's their primary 
their primary stars, their primary creators are in that mold. So any more help you can get there is uh, appreciated. Giannis can play up to a center, so you don't need more centers. Giroux is going to be playing a lot of minutes, and George Hill, assuming he's not retired by then, will do a passable job as the backup point guard. So I would go kind of in the wing areas where I'd be looking for help. I think I think I would align with. I mean, if I was looking at attributes, I would be like, I'd love a six-seven wing with a seven-two wingspan who can also hit threes at a forty-five percent clip. Like I, I think those are. I think those would be my attributes. I'd be looking. For. What we so, don't have faith that AJ Green could be that guy. Well. <laughs> We do, we do, we do know Maybe he can really. Seven foot wingspan. What did he end? He was like thirty percent overall. He started so hot, and then he really sucked for the rest of the time. Um, I also don't. Going back to the last question, don't think Hugo Basson is going to be making his way over here anytime soon. <laughs> but um, we are going to him. I'm going to have a very deep dive analysis of what yeah. the hell went wrong if that happens <laughs> we're starting a seg- a weekly segment kyle where you have to check in on hugo's games yeah. overseas yeah we'll, we'll have like we'll have a, a scale be like how close is he to maybe getting called back over <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll just every week we're like ah, it's like a three out of ten this week i don't know <laughs> oh boy all right well Damn. uh yeah <laughs> So I think I would go with I think I would probably go lead more towards the the wing Riley side of it. Well, so but Kyle, you were talking about does the team have enough playmaking behind Drew? Because that was one of Stone Age's questions. So you think you you from your answer, you clearly think they need a, someone else who can do something with the ball. Um, yeah, because the backup three. is George Hill. <laughs> like, can he do it? Sure. Is he going to do it? I don't know. Like, he might have another neck injury and is out for God knows how long without anyone knowing his timetable for return. Riley's begging the man to retire. Like, this is not encouraging. Like, there is such a drop-off from Drew to George Hill in terms of this offensive playmaking ability. And it's just, this is a guy that's also getting older and has got a lot of histories now. And is it getting, like... The George Hill we saw in that Boston Celtics series from way back is not there. And, you know, when I first heard he's coming back, I was like, okay, cool, sure, why not? But it's clear that his it, it, it is declining, and it's getting to the point where he's probably going to get packaged in the trade. Like, if, he, if there is a trade, it's likely going to revolve around him or Grayson Allen. So, yeah, I, I just have concerns because the depth after that is just so stark that if Drew were to miss any time, we are looking at Giannis and Chris being the primary ones, which didn't go well last year, um, lots of turnovers, or you're relying on George Hill to be competent enough, and I don't know if I can answer that anymore. We absolutely don't have enough playmaking behind Drew, but that's been the case even since like when Eric Bledsoe was here, we've never had enough playmaking. Part of that is just simply, like I said before, because of the personnel we have, like when you have Giannis out there, he's going to take up a lot of the playmaking duties. And I always struggle to envision we bring in a playmaker. What does that look like now? Maybe we can find the next George Hill, AK guy who's sort of a veteran, but isn't totally washed. Who's a little bit on the outs on like a younger ish team. Like he doesn't fit with the timeline who isn't a total turnstile on defense. Cause we tried with DJ Augustine and offensively. I mean, it was a roller coaster, but he did try like the playmaking. If you were looking for playmaking DJ Augustine, he tried to give you that 
it's just it was super hard for him because he was older and he's undersized uh in the nba so we if we found like the next george hill of course you would want to go out and get that and i think that would be definitely something you want to look at but it's not something i fret over the most because we've gone so many years where we just didn't have much i mean hell we didn't have george hill for (laughs) our our title run and that went okay uh so you'd love to find a fringe-ish veteran guard who just needs a couple of minutes here or there um and i have faith that John Horse would be is definitely probably looking for that guy. Um, but in terms of is this the thing that will sink us? I don't think so. Because um, I just can't imagine the guy who comes out and gets to play with Drew, Chris, and Giannis or the other like shortened rotation guys and does enough playmaking to lift the entire boat, as it were. I, I think that's my main thing. I mean, when I think about past title teams, I mean, they're, most of the playmaking was centralized with just a few players. They didn't have that many people outside of them. It's it's an interesting question. I think the only reason I would still say there might be some sort of need for playmaking, and if I'm expanding the very idea of playmaking beyond like creating for others and just having it be genuinely making a play or making something happen, I think the only reason they might genuinely still need a little bit of that is Drew's offensive game in the playoffs is still just so hit or miss. They don't have three reliable offensive engines. And Chris Chris is more reliable than Drew offensively normally, um, even if he doesn't get as many assists. But he's still a little helter-skelter. So that's the one reason I would say there still obviously could be some need for someone who could at least score a little or try to create a little bit. Yeah, we're going to perpetually have a deficit in playmaking because Drew is the point guard. And if Drew is going to be the point guard, he is not like the highest end playmaker, but he's going to get a boatload of minutes. So therefore there's just going to be this kind of perpetual imbalance and trying to find the perfect backup to be able to fix that, I think is really tough just because of the way that we're structured. And that's a fine enough trade because the defense is good enough, but that's just kind of like a perpetual problem that'll probably exist for as long as Drew is there or Chris is taking up as much money or we're kind of we're at the contract situation we're at right now. All right. Last roster team oriented question. This is from Harms. Will the Bucks have a top 10 offense and defense this season for the regular season? And I have the last four years, courtesy of uh, co-managing editor Mitchell Maurer here. So 2018, 19 fourth overall offensively first defensively next year, eighth overall offensively first defensively next year. This is 2020. So COVID year, fifth overall offensively, ninth overall defensively than last year, third overall offensively, 14th overall defensively. What do you think, Kyle? I think no, just because that is a big ask for A, having Brooke Lopez be at 100% playing every game. B, teams the, the team just decided not to absolutely tank their way get out of games or just like decide, okay, we're giving these guys a night off. I wouldn't be surprised if that was still the norm where, you know, you have a game where Giannis and Chris and Drew and Bobby and Brooke aren't playing. So it's going to badly affect the numbers in terms of defense. So I think that's where the drop is going to be. I would like, I could see the Bucks being 10 or 11. I just don't think the days of the Bucks consistently being a top 10 defensive team being there anymore, just because a lot of that was on Brooke Lopez 
consistently being there and consistently being the guy and having that availability, which I don't know. Like, he's probably healthy enough to play most of these games, so I just don't know if Budenholzer is going to want to manage and watch those minutes as closely as possible. So I, I just think that as the Bucks' offense has gotten more hyper-focus and hyper-charge, I think the defense has kind of tailed off. So... I think we'll quite easily be a top 10 offense just because Giannis is that good. Uh, and Chris is an offensive forward guy and Drew is good in the regular season. So I think top 10 offense is probably pretty achievable. Uh, to answer the second part about the defense, you have to answer my follow-up of if Jordan War is on the team and if does he break <laughs> a thousand minutes or not. Uh, <laughs> um, but as Kyle said, it, it comes down to Brooke Lopez. Father Time remains undefeated. The Brook Lopez of four years ago is not the Brook Lopez of today. And that's just if he's at the core engine of the defense, everything that we do, perimeter, paint, just no getting around that. So uh, I think we'll probably be top half of the league, but a top 10, I, I wouldn't expect it. Probably not. Yeah, I, you guys, I can't really say anything else. I think defensively, it's just a lot of questions about whether they're going to continue, you know, how much they're going to play people. I kind of doubt they're going to, they're going to probably going to play their starters pretty easy, pretty not quite as often. And then offensively, they're going to be in transition all the time. People in the regular season don't seem to care as much about that. So I think, I think they'll easily hit top 10 for that. Um, all right. So we're going to go on to our, our final sec- set of questions, which are a little more about the league in general. So first one, this was interesting. This was from lightning rod, man. This is a little longer, so stick with me. Has the, quote, player empowerment, end quote, era lowered our expectations for star players? It seems like most of the conversation is about what teams need to do to keep star players happy, i.e. Donovan Mitchell and the Jazz, or how teams are wasting good seasons from their star players, LeBron and the Lakers, KD and the Nets, etc. There's comparatively less discussion about how the star players themselves come up short or contribute to the team not living up to, up to, up to expectations. What did you think, Riley, when you read this question from Lightning Round, man? I read this in the context that I read a lot of star discussion these days in as much as it revolves almost exclusively around the LeBron James era. He had this weird arc of the career, which I'm not sure we're going to see another version of again, where he's anointed since high school. He's going to be the next MJ. Uh, He has all this pressure. He... He doesn't get it done. Everybody gets on his back. He does the decision. Everybody, there's this huge backlash. The backlash is so intense that people come back around to like, oh, LeBron actually is cool. Like this is, he has this weird effect that totally shifts everything around. But I've talked in the staff chat before of how as he phases out of the league, which we're getting closer and closer to him phasing out, we're starting to see a change in the way that star players are handled. Um, I think in general, like the discourse, if you're a star player who, unless the circumstances are totally right, you start asking out or complaining, uh, people are not going to look super kindly on that. Now there are ways to like exit where you can do it gracefully. But if you think of stars who have requested trades or forced their way out, most of them end in disgrace or like, (laughs) If it doesn't end in disgrace right away, people are going to remember that and they are going to hold that against you. And so I'm not sure if it's so much 
it is player empowerment in as much as LeBron James led the way and we had this weird jump in the cap and all sorts of different things going on. But I think we're moving more into a spot now where you're leading by example to stay where you're at. And I think the kind of guys who are in the Giannis generation might have a little bit more of a like, oh, it's on me. Like Giannis constantly is like, oh, it's on me to get better. Like I, he'll go to the Greek national team. Like it's on me to like, I have to improve myself to help out everybody else. Like it's, it's all of us collectively, but I'm not above any of that. So um, I think it's just a quirk of this moment right now in this weird 30 year run, 40 year run between Michael Jordan and LeBron James. And there doesn't seem to be the next guy. And I think that's going to help chill things out a little bit. If that's something you're concerned about, maybe you don't think it's a problem at all. Uh, that's, that's a valid opinion too, I guess. I guess when I was thinking about this in terms of player empowerment and lately, like Donovan Mitchell and the jazz and Katie, and I, it's funny how they put LeBron as wasting their season. It's like they won a title. Granted it wasn't a bubble, but they still won a title. Like it's not LeBron's fault. Well, it is partially LeBron's fault that like Anthony Davis just can't stay healthy. And I think that's kind of the bigger thing is you're seeing less and less teams try and go with this absolute super, super team just because other than the Miami Heat, you can kind of look at the pass almost even 20 something years. And most of the teams that win, it's because they had one very good superstar that they were able to get guys around them, like the Bucks, like the Raptors, like the Mavs, you know, stuff like that. Or, they had a roster that they were able to build from the draft, like the Golden State Warriors. Like the thing with Golden State was they were able to be good enough to draft all those guys, and then it worked out. The Spurs, they drafted all those guys, it works out. Like there's very few examples of you are going to be able to build a super team and get this. So I think that's also why part of the this player empowerment era has kind of lowered as well, is because teams aren't just going to just throw everything they've got into getting a superstar player because if the team is willing to get rid of said superstar player, then what does that say about the superstar player? Like when James Harden was asking on demanding his way out, it's like, okay, yeah, cool if you get him, but why is it that the Rockets could not seem to do like the Rockets built a good enough team that should have made the finals and they couldn't. How much of that is on the Rockets? Like, you, and I think that's also the thing. It's like with most of these teams, they are doing what realistically. There, there's very few teams that have a superstar player that are doing so poorly and trying to get them the pieces to win. Sometimes it just doesn't work out, and that is what it is. But other times, it is kind of a. In my opinion, it's like the orgs are doing what they can, and sometimes it doesn't work, and it that's fine. But if you're trying to trade for said superstar, like you're trying to trade for Donovan Mitchell. Like, yeah, he's there. He's a good player, but is he someone that you're going to throw your whole future at? No, like he's not that guy. Like KD is someone that is that guy, but he is also someone where it's like, all right, who's going to match what the hell the Nets are going to want? Like, that's the issue. If Rudy Gobert is getting all of this, like that's not going to look good for every other team that's going to want to give up that much. So I think that's for me, the kind of the way I'm viewing it. And also just more of the, the cap hasn't had a giant spike. So you don't see a KD joining the Golden State Warriors when they are already freaking good. It's kind of like a, if you want to get that kind of team, you're going to need one or two guys or hope that you are able to find a Chris Middleton-esque player where they're really good, 
no one's going to call them a superstar. No one's going to say they're like star players, but they're really good and they help your star player. That I think is going to be, and I think that's why it's been more of a drop off. And that is probably going to be the new trend again is you get the one superstar and then you get a lot of guys that can help set superstar. You get, a, get a, as many good, very good players as possible. You get as many Drew Holidays, Chris Middleton's, Jalen Brown's type of guys as possible. Yeah, I, I, that's a that's a good point, Kyle. I actually think the the Warriors are were basically that last year. I because I, I don't think anyone around Steph Curry was really at a anywhere near like a super team star level around him. I mean, Clay obviously is good, and Draymond is good, and whatnot. But that's that was definitely what last year was. Directly to Lightning Rod Man's question about thinking there's comparatively less discussion about how the star players themselves come up short. Um, I, I actually don't think that's the case. I kind of feel like there's even more discussion than ever about how the second you like fail twice in the playoffs, you're a fraud and you suck. Like there's going to be a lot of really, I don't know. I kind of feel like there's going to be a lot of like negative discussion around Jokic this next year. We're definitely going to hear that. I think that's already started. So, um, but I'm getting a quizzical look from Kyle. Yeah. I slightly agree with that. Like Jokic definitely is going to be on fraud watch because he has a baby. Yet, ironically, <laughs> the player who should be on the biggest fraud watch out of a lot of these star players is Joel Embiid, and yet it feels like nothing is being said about him. It's mm. always someone else's fault. It was Ben Simmons. It was James Harden. It was the coaching. It's the coach. But it never – like that's where, I, where I'm kind of like – at what point is it you? And that's why I feel like with Joel Embiid, and that's also how I feel with Nuka Doncic. Now, Doncic got a little bit more of a reprieve because he made it further this year, and beating a good, very good Suns team will do that. But I, that's where, for me, that's kind of the guy that's like, okay, yes, players aren't getting as you still have the guys like Jokic, and I think winning back to back the MVPs did not help his case. But then you still have Joel Embiid just sitting there getting way too many passes for his team's underachieving. If it wasn't for the Celtics making the finals, Jason Tatum should have been getting a lot more slander than he was. And again, he gets a little bit more of a pass this year because at least the Celtics made the finals. But like that's this is where I'm looking at Luka Doncic. If we want to make Devin Booker that guy, there needs to be a guy that needs to get looked at as well. But how many other like star, star players that haven't shown they could win? Are there anymore? Like, there's Jokic, there's a B, there's Dodgic. Like, maybe Trey Young will get there. Maybe Job Morant if we want to get to like those kind of guys. But Joel Embiid needs to be the one. Like, out of all the players that aren't getting slandered enough, Joel Embiid needs to be right there at the top end. He should be getting slandered more than anyone else in the league right now. Because there is no reason why for all this process nonsense, and he has been the face <laughs> of that process, and that process has been a whole ass failure. And yet, no one is pointing blame at him. It's always someone else. Consider as well that we're living in such a different era in terms of compensation for these guys, and also the knowledge about the compensation for these guys. Because general basketball fans, they go in and they see a Giannis or whoever, and they're like, oh, well, you know, he's a max player. And then he's, you know, like a Chris Middleton's making $40 million. Like, well, that's. You have to do that. Like you have to pay a Chris and maybe it's an overpay. Um, but like $40 million a year for a Chris Middleton, that's like back in the nineties. What's like the equivalent, like, you know, you're making like 5 million, maybe at like that level. So the, just the ballooning of the money 
the media money available to these leagues, I think it's totally throwing things off. There was a time back in like the good old days of basketball where it was like contracts were a lot longer. So you have guys like, look, this is your crew because we sign them up for the next six years. So you got to like, you got to make it happen. Um, and nowadays the knowledge about the constraints of the cap and the dollar amounts, I think that CBA in a lot of ways forces this sort of weird no man's land because it seems feels at times outdated for the numbers of dollars we're throwing around out there. Um, but until the NBA does something to address that, if they even need to address anything, but I think that ties into a lot of why it feels like we're giving guys a pass because you're paying the second guy and the third guy on the team, like $30 million when back in the day, nobody was making $30 million. It's just a different era. It's a totally different era. Okay, so I looked up the all-NBA first team from last year. It's Giannis, Tatum, Jokic, Booker, Doncic. Giannis, he's good. Tatum, he probably gets at least a year of a pass for making the finals. Jokic, tech, people are going to say he's on fraud watch. Booker, no one considers him good enough to put him on fraud watch. Doncic might be the next one. But, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, those, like, that's just the first team, and yet... Uh, kind of like what Riley, like, I mean, DeMar DeRose made a second team. That's where the state of the league is, where, like, there is such a few, like, this guy dominates every headline, and the ones that did dominate all the headlines have won. So it's like we can't really be over here criticizing them as much as we want because it's like, okay, how much can we really critis- criticize LeBron at this point? We Like, it's done, it's over with, whatever. Steph Curry... Again, same thing. Kevin Durant, like, this is, like, those guys and, like, the other quasi-superstars. It's like, yeah, we've slandered James Harden. Like, that guy got slandered. Carl Anthony Towns is very good, but no one really cared enough to slander Carl Anthony Towns. Chris Paul <laughs> was kind of, like, probably should be getting slandered more, but we've all just kind of dealt with it. So it, it, there is kind of that aspect as well, where, like, maybe a Jimmy Butler – but again, he has the one bubble run and he, people are still letting him coast on that. Like, it's just like there's a lot of guys that are coasting on things where it's like, OK, maybe we shouldn't let them. But yeah. Interesting points. Good, good fodder for John Beat is on fraud watch for me, though. I'm 100 percent. He needs to be on fraud watch. He needs to be on everyone's number one fraud watch. We, I think we've been leading the pack on this this particular point of discussion that that Joel Embiid needs to be on fraud watch and that he is he is unnecessary. He has taken no criticism when it is time. It's his time. He's he's had enough meat bags in front of him. All right, next one from Harms. What individual awards or achievements do you see for the Bucks this year? He rattles them off: MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, All NBA, All Defense, Six Man of the Year, Coach, Exec, Rookie, Most Improved Player, etc. Riley, do you, what sort of hardware do you see the Bucks taking home this year? Uh, Giannis all NBA, Giannis all defense. Giannis will be in the running for MVP and defensive player of the year. I think he may, cause he got the title. So we get the refresher with that. Jokic got his two. I don't see like who the next guy is assuming we're not going to give Jokic three in a row. So I think MVP give Giannis a good shot at that. People are going to be really all in on the, um, Oh my God, Rudy Gobert in Minnesota thing. Uh, people might be looking to tear him down though, because people don't like Rudy Gobert. So maybe defensive, but all defense for sure, all NBA for sure. MVP feel pretty good. Outside of that, I'm not going to lock um, anything else. Yeah, I I think Giannis should be a strong contender for MVP, but it's clear the media so badly wants Embiid or Doncic to get it. <laughs> 
So I just feel like there's that is always going to be an obstacle. I actually think Giannis could win Defensive Player of the Year this year because Gobert's in Minnesota. I, I feel like people are going to be like, okay, we don't need to give this to him. They gave it to Marcus Smart, and I think everyone was kind of like, ooh, this is a bad idea. And this maybe <laughs> wasn't. Yeah, so like, like that was a mistake. <laughs> well, they, I think with Marcus Smart, it was kind of like a here, here's your fucking award that you've been begging for, and everyone keeps saying you're a good defender. Yeah, here, whatever. Here's your one. Leave us alone. So I feel like they won't give Marcus Smart. So I actually could see Giannis winning Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah. Um, all NBA, yeah, for sure. All NBA, all defense, yes. I can see Drew Holiday getting an all defense as well. Um, yeah, I don't see anyone. Could Bobby win a six man? Maybe, maybe, but he would need to have like his best statistical season to do so. And that I'm not putting it past him, but that's like the only way I could see Bobby. I don't see any. I don't see Marjan winning Rookie of the Year. I don't see anyone getting Most Improved Player. So. Yeah, let me say Giannis Defensive Player of the Year, All-NBA, All-Defense, Drew, All-Defense, Bobby, Dark Horse Candidate, Sixth Man of the Year. The Bobby for Sixth Man is good. Don't see Mamu, Most Improved? Most Improved? (laughs) I was actually, this is funny, I was looking at the basketball reference page, he's not on the roster page right now. I don't know what's up with that. Mm. Well, he's still in that two-way though, right? Yeah, that's what I was saying. Um, I do want to say you write about the defensive player of the year because a lot like how every microphone that Rudy Gobert turns out to have COVID-19 on it, every player that the Minnesota Timberwolves touch turns into an absolute dope. So uh, he will not be good and people will be ready with the knives out the second that things do go sideways in Minnesota, which they almost assuredly will. All right. Well, speaking of knives out, we're going to close it out with this question from uh, Mitchell Maurer, co-managing editor. Shout out, Mitchell. Thanks for this one. Which teams in the East actually worry you for the next 10 months? And he, he qualifies worry as could win at least two playoff games against the Bucks. Kyle, what teams actually worry you? I guess based off of that parameter, um, that could win at least two games. Boston could. Sure, I'll give Boston that. Definitely not Philly. Definitely not Brooklyn. <laughs> Definitely not Miami. Maybe Toronto? Maybe Toronto. That's like where I'm starting to get to like, I'm getting a little iffy. Boston for sure. Toronto might be able to get two. <laughs> Maybe. Otherwise, that's it. I would pick Boston for sure. Much as it kills me, probably Philly. I could see them getting two games off. Of I us. can't. Wait, wait. Remind me. Wait, they're going back with Doc Rivers again. I just yes, love bringing this up. Back okay, with Doc nah. they're going back with James Harden. They're going like they're, okay. it's a bum ass. They got bums running the show. No, I'm not worried about Philly. They're going to have a new coach by the time we face them in the playoffs. So that's a wild card. We're never going to face so, them in the playoffs because they're too much of bums to get to that stage. Miami and Toronto solely because those coaches. I would. Still argue probably better than Mike Boonholzer and so could probably scheme two wins out of that. Uh, Brooklyn's obviously a disaster now. Atlanta, so long as they have Trey Young, is probably not going to be high enough. Uh, and I have no idea what they're even doing, constructing their roster. Um, that's probably about it out east. I'm trying to think of anybody who's going to improve. Um, Charlotte, obviously, because of the reprehensible Miles Bridges situation, are going to not take that step forward. Um, I don't really see any other. I'm looking at the rest of the East. Nobody really jumps out. So yeah, Boston, Philly, 
Miami and Toronto would probably be my picks for teams that could win two games off of us. If not, in the worst case scenario, beat us. I just can't see Miami. I just can't. Like, Miami has not improved enough for me to think the same squad that got beat down by the Bucks and got swept. You're adding an older Jimmy Butler. You're still adding a scared Bam Adebayo. You're thinking Tyler Harrell is that guy. You have Kyle Lowry, who is getting older. Like, maybe Kyle Lowry makes a difference, but I just don't see that with Miami at all. Like I said, Philly is just ran by too many bums, and I no. That's I, I would, yeah, Toronto, I would give Toronto. I'll give Toronto two games, but in Boston, that's really it. The only thing making me reticent is as much as the title run was great, we did almost die like 30 times on the way. And we we have way Giannis is amazing. Like that's he might be they good enough to just overcome. Game, they only game one against Miami where they were like, oh, this might get dicey. And then they just crushed them throughout the next three games. <laughs> yeah, but then we saw this past year where Chris goes out and then nobody has a clue what to well, do. Well, I'm going with a like, healthy buck. I'm going with Giannis, Chris, and Drew being healthy. Like, if yeah. two of those three, if one of those three is out, then that changes the answer. Two of those three definitely RIP. As long as but Giannis, he, well, okay, if Giannis is healthy, there's still enough of a chance, but. But but even with all three of them, if we almost died 30 times on the way to a title. Now, we won the title, but I think you could look back in time and be like, well. Almost even I could call a, by a yeah. of Kevin Durant and the and final game like, two Brooklyn game four Atlanta they shit the bed really bad game four I'm right. giving a pass because Giannis went down and everyone's like oh fuck oh that we thing was down. bad that thing was stinky from the tip that that game was bad <laughs> look they were turning around at that point <laughs> <No>. <laughs> they were making small incremental good moves. <laughs> I'm just saying we are obviously a great team, but I'm not going to go into any match and be like, we're I'm going to try and learn my lessons from previous years and try and be. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be there by the time the season gets around. I'll obviously be there. But now in the cold of the offseason, I can be like, yeah, we probably have some flaws that it might be exploitable depending on how things go. So see, I'm the opposite. I'm just like, nah, we're in offseason mode. Like nothing matters. Like I could be as. Yeah. Braggadocious as possible. Nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna listen to this again after they download it. What is someone gonna come at me and at me on Twitter and say, "I remember what you said in August." I'll be like, "What? What did I say in August?" Good yeah. question. Do we even record in August? I don't know. Well, uh, I'll use this as the um, as the tweet for the article then, and tag <laughs> you in it, Kyle, so that this the way we have a record of you saying this. That's fine. <laughs> the, the problem with actually worried the way Mitch Mitchell that you've laid this out, if I if I may. Like I'm more with Riley where I'm like, this team, I've just, I, I've just seen it too often where they just throw some sort of dud. So I could see too many, too many teams winning at least two against us against teams that actually worry me that could potentially beat us. It's really just Boston basically at this point. Uh, I, I just can't see any other team in the East beating them. So if I was, if I were to use a worrying in the fact that they could beat the Bucks for me, that's just Boston and that's it. Um. All right. Well, we're going to take a real quick break, close it out with our miscellaneous topics, so stay tuned. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. 
And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void where prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. All right, we're back. Kyle, your film review. Yes. Um, obviously, I got to go with the movie that's been the talk of being around. It's on Disney+. Plus. It's kind of a big. It was kind of a big deal when it came out. We're talking Toy Story 4, obviously. That was there's a movie. A, there's a fourth? Hold on. There's a yes. fourth Toy Story? <laughs> there is. It came out three years ago. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I thought this was a new thing. Sorry, my bad. No, okay. it came out three years ago. I don't know why. Like, to be honest, this movie did not need to happen. Not to say it was a bad movie. It just made so little sense. Like, you had ended it perfectly with Toy Story 3. And this was, this to me felt like this was ultimate. Like, this was a huge money grab. <laughs> this was like the we are going to get as much money out of this as possible Hell yeah. and that is what it, but it, i think it was it was a good movie like i'm not gonna lie about that like it it was definitely weird watching it i was like okay this is it's still captivating it's still entertaining i think it had a different vibe from other toy stories like it, it did have more of like a existential crisis it's kind of like the main theme of it between one of the toys having not sure what their identity is to a character that I didn't even realize like wasn't even in the whole third movie. Like I did not realize Bo Peep was out in the whole Toy Story 3. So I didn't and like it did not register with me and then like showed up. So there is also that I have no clue how far in advance this also was between Toy Story 3 and Toy Story 4. Like I don't know how much time has passed as well so that also kind of made it a little bit tougher but i think it was a good like i think overall it looked really good like the animation was stellar like holy shit pixar good job um i think the i think the story was really good i i think it had enough comedy where it had enough comedy where it could be a kid's movie but it wasn't like a like if you were an adult and your kid wanted to ask to watch it it wouldn't be like oh my god why are we watching this kind of thing so I had a good time. I'll give it a 7.5. Like I said, I don't think this movie was necessary in any way, shape, or form. But it was at least good. I I will give him that. It was a good movie. It was absolutely unnecessary, though. They've got really endearing characters. Everybody loves the Toy Story characters, so that's a really strong base to work off of. Uh, agreed. Now that I know there was a fourth movie, the third movie was super metal. They were gonna like execute all the toys, and then they're <laughs> and then they made and another this movie. Has more of like a internal identity crisis. Like, uh, the the, fourth, the third one was definitely more like we're getting dark in terms of like this might like result in like a uh, death. This the fourth one was <laughs> more of like a identity crisis to the max. And as someone with anxiety, I didn't need that. <laughs> yeah, bro. I I already worry about my fleeting time on this earth that I'll turn back into ash here soon enough as it is. I don't need the toys also driving this home for me. Thanks. I'm good. I'm good. So do you think, 
Are you going to see, have you watched Lightyear? Is that like the spiritual No, I haven't successor? seen it. I don't okay. want to see it. Like, I okay. just don't have any desire to see it. I'm sure okay. that will be a movie that I will end up watching because we have Disney Plus and sometimes and it's just kids. a good thing to throw yeah. on and I have kids. But yeah. no, I have no desire to see Lightyear. But if I, I'm sure the animation will look phenomenal. Being advertised on my TV screen behind me as I as I stare at it, so I I don't plan. On they're not TV listening. Either. Don't I, worry, they're not listening. Yeah, for I was sure. gonna say on the Roku, it was like my main background on the Roku for like the last week. So yeah, that's what I've got to. All right, Riley, close us out with your fountain pen review. Yes, uh, we have going back to the Robert Oster uh, well, as it were. We have Crocodile Green. Now, normally I awkwardly try to show Kyle and Adam a sample that they can't actually see because we it's like dark and not well lit in here. So I'm not going to do that because I wrote it in the really big book that I have today. When you think of a crocodile, you think almost of a gray green. And so it's not vivid whatsoever. And this one totally lives up to that. It's dark. It is not have much character whatsoever. It's a serious green. And to be honest, I like it a lot. Uh, there's a lot of times I've run through a couple recently where the inks were bright and colorful and had a lot of personality and those are cool and they write for like a day or two, but you kind of get like almost like a kid's movie or like, Oh, I'm kind of melting from how much joy or like how much happiness is happening here. And it kind of, this is weird mismatch when you're writing in a journal, you're like reviewing some heavy novel you read or you're like journaling about like i said your existential dread about turning into dust you know like and it's in turquoise blue you're like oh there's there's some sort of weird something gone here so crocodile green uh people can look it up online it's very serious it's does not do anything flashy but it, it feels appropriate and it runs really well in my diplomat traveler which is probably my favorite pen to use so um yeah i've, I've liked it a lot it's probably of the 20 some odd inks that Robert Ross sent me, it probably a top five ink. So it's, it's pretty good. I've liked it a lot so far. Shout out Mr. Oster. A fine, a fine ink you, you crafted there. Crocodile yeah. green. That, that one sounds good. That one seems intriguing to me. If I were to ever be a, a fountain pen user. Um, all right. Well, that'll do it for tonight's podcast. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. Thank you, especially to all the group commenters who sent in questions that, made the podcast because we we didn't know what else to talk about. So thank you. Lots of really, really good fodder for discussion. Hopefully in the comments, people can can add on and keep those discussions going. We'll probably be a little quiet throughout August uh, as we as we take one more break. I would say things might ramp up in September, but go to brewhoop.com. We'll still have, uh, you know, lots of pieces on there. And thank you again for listening. We'll talk to you again soon.